The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right, so last week we finished up uh, chapter 2 of Jonah, and at the end of the chapter 2 we learned that once a fish had swallowed Jonah, and Jonah come to the conclusion that he better do what God wanted, the fish puked him up onto shore. Think about that. How fun. Maybe we could learn that disobedience puts us in places we really don't want to be. Not sure. I came across this, uh, I don't even know where I got it, but somebody outlined the book of Jonah this way. Chapter 1, I won't go. Chapter 2, okay, I'll go. Chapter 3, okay, I'm here. Chapter 4, I knew I shouldn't have come. (laughs) And how often is that in our lives where we get to places and we're just struggling with doing what God is wanting us to do? So this morning, here's what I'm asking, Father, by your Spirit, you speak into our hearts, truths that we need to hear. Father, in 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 a group this size, we all need to hear different things. And at the same time, we need to hear the same thing. So I pray that your voice would be heard this morning in our hearts and lives in Jesus' name. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 3, or if you've got your devices, turn to Jonah chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you want one, you can grab one up here. And if you don't want to grab one, Aaron, he's sitting right there, and he'll be happy to throw, I mean, bring one to you. So if you want one, just raise your hand, and he'll bring one to you. So, again, turn to Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to read, it's only 10 verses, so let's just read it. It says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So we know that what happened in chapter 1, God says to Jonah, hey, go to Nineveh. And it's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. We find out what happened in there. So the next thing that God says to him, (laughs) same song, second verse, go to Nineveh. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I gave you. And so we learn that Jonah learned. So he obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And it says, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now I think verse 5 is very telling. Verse 5 says, and the Ninevites believed God. This is interesting. You know, when you're really doing what you need to be doing, you're, you're proclaiming what God is wanting you to proclaim. There's an understanding. There's just something that's there. They, they, they get that's God. And so it says, the Ninevites, because of the message, they knew that the message just wasn't Joan and Israelite and didn't like them. They got that that message was from God and they believed God. And a fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Now, this is how this all worked out. In, jo- in verse 6, it says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is a proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, 
Do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their, vo- and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with great compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And then verse 10, it says this, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. And I brought this out last week with with what Jonah was doing, the whole situation and the belly of the fish. It says that God relented in Nineveh. God relented because of what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. Now, this morning, uh, I kind of want to just back up from uh, Jonah a bit, uh, from the story, uh, kind of pull back, and maybe kind of see it in a, in a little bit different light this morning. So I wanna, I'm going to ask the question and want us to think through this. What is, what is God's purpose here? I mean, you know, I, we have brought up that the story of Jonah, like, that, that is... An interesting story, you know, uh, the whole thing about the fish and three days, three nights in the belly of a fish and God doing what God did. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is God's purpose here, his intentions through this accounting? Because we know that the scripture, God inspired the authors as a scripture. We understand that there were those men that gathered together and said, you know what, these things, these are in the canon of scripture. This is truth. This is God's truth. This is what was relayed from God to man for man. And so what is, what's the purpose here in this accounting of Jonah and the Ninevites and through, listen, Jonah writing this book and to whom he wrote it to. I think it's, Sometimes, I, I don't know, we kind of read through Scripture and we don't kind of back up to get the who he wrote it to and when he wrote it to them and how he wrote it to them and why he wrote it to them. So I've said this before in the Scriptures, God's story, there is this uh, crimson thread of redemption. So when you look at the story of God, all through the story of God, you see that all through the story of God, God's intention from the fall of man was to bring men back to himself. There's a, there's this, it's a big story of redemption, and yet in this big story of redemption, there's pieces to it. So if you could think about a string of Christmas lights. And so the string, uh, the cord is this... Uh, crimson thread, and then the lights that are on the cord are the stories, the accountings, and the truth that help us better see God's intentions and purposes in this theme of redemption for humanity. Now think about, think about it like with, we can go back and just choose a lot of people, but if you just took Joseph for one, and we see the life of Joseph and all the things that happened to Joseph, and we wonder, God, what's going on? We see God's story of redemption through the life of Joseph for the people of God. And so there are all these, if you could think about this string of lights, there's lots of things on there that, that illuminate. There's lots of things that bring light. The, 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 the whole thing is a story, and yet lots of accounting in the story that we need to look at. Now I'm going to say something that you might disagree with, but just give me a minute Uh, to explain a little bit further. See, the Bible wasn't written 
to you, to me. But the Bible was written for me. So, because for the most part, the writers of Scripture weren't thinking of you and me in the 21st century when they penned their words. So if the Bible wasn't written specifically, now again, don't get caught up. Let me just explain it a bit. You say, oh, no, 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 the Bible was written to me. No, the Bible wasn't written specifically to you, but the Bible was written specifically for us, right? Okay, so don't, don't tune me out altogether. So if the Bible wasn't written specifically to me, then I need to ask, I need to discover to whom it was written and why was it written to them. And so each book of the Bible has an audience that it was written to, and each audience lived in a specific period of time in their own culture and circumstances that surrounded them. And also we need to remember that the Bible was written in different ways. So there's these different genres in Scripture that really help us get some clarity. So if you, if you were, to, there's lots of them out there. I kind of can pull them from these ways. So you have the law, and then you have, um, you have uh, history and narrative. You have uh, prophecy. You have uh, the gospels, and you have the letters. So there's lots of different genres of, that the Bible is written in. And they were written in different times in different ways to different people in different people groups. Now, why does that make a difference? Listen to me just briefly. So, so the books of the law, so they're made up specifically of rules, statutes, and instructions and are generally concerned with guiding people how to live and to show, God, and to show the conditions of God's covenant with his people, the law. So when you think of history and narrative, they are stories that capture events and time frames that were handed down generation after generation that help us see how God worked in the lives of his people, like this story, like Joseph. And then you have wisdom literature. So wisdom literature basically focuses on really helping us make sense out of life and how to live well, how to, how to achieve a sense of perspective in our life, even when our life doesn't seem to be going in the way that, that we want. So in, when you get into the wisdom literature, you see these big pieces. Just go through Proverbs, and it says, it talks so specific about the righteous and the unrighteous, and the unrighteous are not going to go well, and the righteous it will go well. Well, just take that from Proverbs, and what are you going to do with your life? Well, I'm going to try to live it the way that God wants me to live it, fearing Him, because I know that's my best course of action, right? Just in a big sense. And then you have these prophecy books that were written by men who spoke God's direct message, most specifically to God's people, but not always, warning them from wandering from His law, calling them back to Him, away from sin, and also at times, and a lot of times, just giving hope and comfort for the future concerning His people. So we need to, let's just understand that Jonah is a prophetical book. And so if that's the case, then in the, in the big idea of it, prophecy has two purposes. And that is to bring warning, and it's to bring comfort or hope for the future. And, and I, I can kind of see both of them in there. Uh, you know, the, the idea of warning to Jonah uh, and Israel, the warning to Nineveh, the comfort 
to Nineveh that God would, hopefully he would relent in the comfort for Israel to see that God would do that even in their sin. So when we read through Scripture, you kind of kind of think of it this way. You don't read a law book the way you would as a letter from a friend because they're different and they have different intentions. So kind of have this uh, big idea. And so what happens when we kind of ignore this idea of that the Bible has a specific, that, that there was a particular time frame in which it was written by a particular person to a particular person or group of people for a particular reason. And I think sometimes we can miss it. So I kind of want to paint a picture that you might not have seen. Because I kind of see this uh, in Genesis. And I can, I can see it in the whole of Genesis, but Genesis chapters 1 through 3. So when we read Genesis chapter 1 through 3, basically our whole thing is, oh, this is, the, this is the creation story. This is a portion where God shows us how he tells us what, about the creation and how he did it, which is true. Don't shoot me yet. However, this book wasn't specifically written to science-minded people, and it wasn't the only purpose for the book. Rather... A purpose for me, a big piece that I see is this book was written to a people who had lost their identity. And I'll explain. So let's, let's ask the question. So, so again, I'm not saying that Genesis 1 through 3 isn't literally true, because it is. And I'm not saying that it wasn't written to reveal how God created things. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying that if we, can, if we can understand who it was written to and when it was written, we might discover some, some other reasons why. And, and again, Genesis chapter 1 through 3, just, it's an incredible story with rich application. But if we ask when it was written, who it was written to, then we've got to say, okay, when, let's answer those questions. So when was Genesis written? Well, most scholars think it happened somewhere around 1440 B.C., and you might be thinking, well, I don't really care when it was written. And, and should I care when it was written in the circumstances that revolved around it? I, th I think if we do, it would be important. I don't think it's a coincidence that the creation story was written during that time. And so if you think about when it was written, it was written when the children of Israel were in the desert. They had been delivered from Egypt they're in 40 years in the desert. And so Moses wrote Genesis at that time. So I'm thinking, hmm, that's kind of interesting to me. I thought, well, if you were going to write Genesis 1 through 3, I think uh, Adam would have been a good guy to write that. Or Noah could have written it. Or, you know, Abraham. There's a lot of guys before Moses that could have written Genesis. But that is not when it was penned. It was penned while the children of Israel were wandering in the deserts. And so I get to thinking, uh, it's written to them, and why was it written then? Well, I don't know. Maybe because Israel was in a really fragile spot as a nation, as a people. They had, think about it, they had just spent over, spent over 400 years in slavery in Egypt. 
That's a long time. Generation after generation grew up only knowing slavery. Their identity maybe was being pushed into that of a captive people. And this is important because this is the context in which it's written. So these people, these are the people who it was first written to. To a nation of former slaves now wandering through the desert, not really sure of who they are and still learning to trust God. And when you read through the story of the counting of the Exodus, we all sit here and go, hello, are you stupid or what? I mean, don't you know? And it's like, no, they knew four. Just think. Just think of somebody you, you what, what's it called? Uh, I'm trying, there's a syndrome that, let's just say that you're, uh, you're kidnapped and you're years with your captor and all of a sudden you're free. Now you've got to reorientate yourself to n- normal life. Thank you, thank you very much. So, this story is recorded. God, God inspired Moses to write this story at that time. And so you, you got to kind of wonder, why is this story written during that time? I, for me, I think it's kind of like this hard reset of their thinking. They needed to establish a new normal in life. So this is no different for us, Right? I live for 21 years as a heathen, not knowing anything about Jesus. I get saved. I need a hard reset in life, and I need to reorientate myself to a new normal, and that is a new normal with God in my life and knowing Him. So, the Israelites have been living. Uh, the, the Israelites then living had no concept of freedom for generations. All they knew was captivity. Uh, they couldn't simply walk into it. Think about this. They couldn't just walk into a life that they never really knew or experienced. They knew of. They knew of, but they didn't live in that. This is all I know. This is all they knew. And so in the creation story, it's almost like they lived so long they forgot. And so in the creation story, God was reminding them of their identity. And he says, this all starts... In the beginning, with you, this starts in the beginning. And, and, and the beauty of the creation story for the Israelites isn't really in the detail of creation because they were taught that. Every one of them in there, by, because what they would have done is they learned by word of mouth. They would have been told year after year, generation after generation, how God created the heavens and the earth. All of those things they would have known. But they didn't live in it and they didn't experience it. It wasn't really a part of them because they're they're in bondage and they're in slavery. So God just starts at the beginning. And again, the beauty of the creation story for the Israelites wasn't in the details. I think what really mattered and what really gripped the heart was bringing them to the place of their identity and realizing that their identity stemmed from God. It was in the creation story, bringing them back into their original focus. Because I'm sure that for many of them, they're going, you know, this is who I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slave. And God's going, oh, no, 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 no. That is not true. Your identity stems from me, and it stems from me from the beginning. And so, 
He's speaking to them. Your identity is a centerpiece of my creation. You're created in my image and my likeness for a reason and for a purpose, right? And then what I love, so think with me again. So how many years was it from creation of man to this time of their wandering in the desert? It was a long, long time. And then, so... Here, Moses, during this time, he pens Genesis. And while he's penning Genesis, he not only brings him back to your, their identity, but then it just begins to lay out their heritage, right? And now, Genesis, if you don't know, there's 11 sections in Genesis. There's a word for it, tall dots, they call it. But there are 11 sections and each section begins with, now this is the accounting of. So this is the accounting of creation. This is the accounting of Adam. This is the accounting of. And so for me, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with this thought that God could have so, he could have a thousand years prior, but he didn't. He could have hundreds of years prior had someone else write this at that time, but he didn't. And so I, I don't, maybe I'm all wet. You know, maybe I got this all wrong, but for me as I'm gathering this, I'm going, oh my goodness. How beautiful is it for God to show up at a particular time in his people's lives and reveal a truth? Woo, hang on to that right there. Now let's just think about your own personal lives. How many times has God just showed up at your life at a particular time to reveal a particular truth? And that particular truth just refocused you. It set you free. It set you on a course. It's like, yes! Everything's going to be all right. We, got, we all have those stories because I've heard you do it. Say, you know, I've read that. I've read that dozens of times and I never saw that. And all of a sudden, the revelation of God by the Spirit of God comes into your life and a truth is revealed to you and it changes and it just shifts you. And this is kind of how I see this playing out in Genesis. So for us, in many ways, uh, we can find ourselves in the same identity crisis at times that Israel did. They were God's people. They had been told they were God's people. They were told that God created the heavens and the earth. They were told that they were remnants from after the flood. They were told that they were people of Abraham, that God had selected them specifically. They were told that, but it, it, for, for whatever reason, during, during the world in which they lived, in the circumstances in which they lived, it, to me it's almost like it wasn't in the forefront and so it's like God went, and he just reorientates them in life. So, I said all that to get back to my first question. That's a long way around, right? <laughs> Why didn't you just... So what was God's purpose here with this story? of Jonah and the fish. Because I said a few weeks ago, it's probably the most contested story, or one of the most contested. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. First of all, 
you're going to get chewed up on the way. And then there are people who say, no, this particular fish could have swallowed you. Three days and three nights, you're alive in the fish. You know, so it's really a contested story. But there's something in the story and the reason why the story's there and the reason God did what he did. And there's a reason why he did it when he did it. It's written to a particular people. So what's his intention through the accounting, penning this book, and whom he writ it to, written it to? So we know that it was written for the nation of Israel. We can understand that Jonah kind of represents the nation of Israel. You know, in Israel, what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to be a light to the nations around them who did not know God. To help others see who God is and to teach them about Him. And when it was written, we learned that it was written in a specific time in history when Israel was doing a terrible job of that. See, they were mostly, they were doing a terrible job of being a light to the nations. They were mostly concerned about themselves. Religious life was spiraling downward, and immorality and injustice was on the rise. And so I think for us, if we, if we just grab this, and it's a prophetical book that it's, it's there to give us warning, admonition, to heed, and to cause us to look to the future, to know who we are, and to have hope. If, if we kind of think of that in a, in a big way, then we can kind of have a better understanding of the purpose of the book. We need to be reminded of the sovereignty of God and that He's controlling all things despite what we see. Because over this last year and a half, it's been, <laughs> what a thunk. But, and that God has determined to use His people to communicate His message to those that are around us, even those we think are enemies, Right? Okay, so kind of one of the things that, you know, this uh, crimson thread of redemption, this, this story that's told over and over again uh, is seen here in this story. Redemption is still God's priority. God loves all of His creation. We'll get into it next week. Even the Ninevites, although their wickedness had brought... Uh, enough to God that he intended to destroy them, there was still the opportunity for them to be forgiven. And so let me just kind of close with this, these, these couple thoughts here. With repentance must come obedience. Think about it in your own life. It was that way for Jonah. He, God said go, and he, he did from what we read up until chapter 4, we don't even see that there was any kind of conversation. It was just like, go, and he just took off. With the Ninevites, there needed to be... So Jonah said no, and then later, because of the fish, because of the storm that came into his life, he said, okay, I'll go. The Ninevites, because of their wickedness, yet Jonah's preaching to them... And they're believing it was God. They, why did God relent? Because of 
what they had, what was the two things? that What they had done and how they had done it. They had turned from their wickedness, so God was merciful to forgive this people. And I think another thing we see is that when we're there, that obedience is taking place in our life. There's always uh, good fruit that comes out of that. You know, whether we particularly like the good fruit or see the good fruit. And again, I think that when we get into chapter 4, we're going to see that Jonah still wasn't happy about what God... You know, for us, we'd have been celebrating that God saved my wicked neighbor. Jonah's going, no, I just wanted you to crush him. I'm not happy. And so God's heart is still for the lost. And that has not changed. And God's heart is for us, his people, to share his love and his mercy and truth to those around us, no matter who they may be. And to me, you know, when I think about this a lot, just this story that's reflecting not just God's sovereignty, but his compassionate mercy toward people. I don't know when you were delivered. I don't know when you got saved, but I know what my life was before, and it is very different, and I would have not have forgiven me. I would have just crushed me, right? And so hopefully, as we're going through this accounting of Jonah, that we're, as we reflect on it, hopefully what it does, it brings us to the place of yielding and surrendering to do what God is wanting to do so God can do what He does. So hopefully through the process our hearts have become tender and they have shifted and that we begin to care about the things that God cares about. And that we will do the things that God is asking us because He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. He's given us this opportunity to have a voice. And we have a voice because we know Him. So, Father, this morning, here's what I'm asking most, most for our lives. I know that life just sometimes, it, it just kind of runs away. Uh, sometimes it gets broadsided. Sometimes we get distracted in it. But even more in these days when the world around us is going crazy, it doesn't upset you. you you're, you're, it's like you're just putting one foot in front of you and marching through time. There's a cadence about what you're doing I pray that you would just drop that into our hearts to know that no matter what's going on in our life, we're your children, and you, your intention for us is to be a light to the nations around us, to be a voice, and that it would cause us to care less about the things that don't matter and more about the things that do. So, Father, as we're in here this morning, uh, I'm asking just your voice to be very sure in our hearts and in our lives. Speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, fellowship a bit. Have an amazing day.